Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Are you okay if we just jump in? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So what were you doing in 2019 you were working with? Uh, DHS, so in child welfare. And when I started... My, my supervisor brought in this case. It, it, was, it was this thick. It had gone through three different workers. It had gone through a whole bunch of stuff. And he set it on my desk and he goes, here you go. So that ended up being a youth who had read. And I didn't, I, I was really kind of confused why rad was such a big deal. So my background, I have my um, master's in community counseling. I was headed for my LPC with play therapy. I specialize in play therapy. So I was doing marriage and family counseling. So I know a lot about a lot of the DSM stuff. Right. And I've heard of RAD. And so I followed that case all the way until I left DHS in 2020. Wow. It was super involved. There were so many different layers. And I started seeing these patterns in a lot of the kids that we were working with. And so now I actually, I work for what's called joint initiatives. We're under the Colorado Youth and Detention Continuum. Well, I'm a partner coordinator. I facilitate meetings. You know that saying, it takes a village to raise a child? I know it well. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Um, I bring the village to the table. So basically where a lot of times parents are lost, they don't know where to go. They don't know where to find resources. I literally bring those resources to the meeting. I love that. And I love that there is a position for somebody to do that. Yeah, it really, my direct position and what's really cool, and I'll get into this in a little bit, but my direct position right now is working with youth in detention. So any of the kids with juvenile delinquency charges sitting in detention, and I ended up in a meeting and I kept seeing this pattern of where parents are like, I said, you know, what diagnoses do these kids have? And they'd say ADHD, ODD, conduct disorder, bipolar, possible borderline personality disorder. And once I started seeing all of these come together at once, I go, have, have they been assessed for RAD? And they go, well, no, they make good eye contact. So they don't have red. Really? And I went, <laughs> hey, I think it goes a bit farther than that. Just a little. Yeah. So wow. I started seeing that. And what I started doing is when parents would tell me that I would, you know, I'd talk to them and then I'd, I started inviting Amy and Heather to my community table meetings where wow. there's about 30 community professionals We bring them all to the meeting and we brainstorm to help these families. And you know better than anyone, by the time they would get to me, they're sitting in detention. The kids are sitting there. Parents are like, I'm lost. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what to do anymore. And so it really, they became, I started to realize that a lot of these kids who are sitting in detention, who have, they've been in, in and out of foster care. They've been in and out of adoptions. They have, you know, drug-related birth, um, parents with uh, substance use issues. And so what we do then is try to address all of those aspects, you know, starting with mentorship, um, adding in mental health therapy, family therapy, you know, bringing in whatever systems need to be involved. So it's actually, I, I feel so honored. And Amy and Heather have been absolutely pivotal in the healing of these families. Wow. It's been amazing. That is amazing. I just want to commend you for having the foresight or the interest or the awareness to find these patterns and to dig deeper in your position. You're in a position where you can make real change. I know at Rad Advocates, they have a legislative body 
or a committee, they've got the education committee and, and do great work. But when, when we can team on the inside together, that is huge. So you are helping to make a big difference. Thank you. It's really ground level. I mean, I, I literally just got off of three hours of meetings with three separate families and it's, it's a brainstorming session and it's so individualized for each family. So, right. you know, a lot of times, like when kids get in DHS, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. We have A, B, and C therapies, and you're going to do this one. Well, this is really based off of the individual needs of the family and the youth. And I've learned a lot about questioning um, mm-hmm. with kids with RAD, because <laughs> what we do is the setup is very strengths-based. Right. And so what I do is I go around to all the people in the meeting who know this youth really well, and I ask them to talk about their strengths. And then the way that it's been set up is we say, so you love video games. You know what? We'll be able to, um, you know, you finish A, B, and C, you know, we'll, we'll do the video game thing or we'll have a mentor. So you build well, your goals off of the strengths. Right, exactly. And that's the foundation of the whole plan. Hmm. But with kids with RAD, it's very different because empowering the parents to be that absolute everything Mm -hmm. where I'm simply just handing it off to the parents and equipping the parents to be, you know, the reward, the every aspect. So it's a completely different approach. And I have learned so much this year. (laughs) I bet. I bet. So when you first started out, you said you were with DHS child welfare. Was that Uh still within the juvenile justice piece of it? Or was that a separate, what were you doing at the beginning before you turned it around and started doing this? Yeah, in the intake. So there's two different things of DHS. There's the intake portion and then the ongoing. So when a report of child abuse and neglect comes into the hotline for Colorado, it's uh, sent to whatever local DHS, um, like whether it's El Paso County, Teller County. And I worked up here in Teller County, so we would get these hotline reports. So I would go out and investigate the child abuse and neglect um, allegations that were being put out. So, and then once you found out, you know, did it actually happen? Is this just like a report? What happened? Um, Once you assess for that severity, then you help the family by finding a need and filling it. And I really was really dissatisfied with how little I was able to do to help these families. I felt like I could, I would just put a bandaid on it and walk away. I had 60 days in intake before it would go to a case, which a case is ongoing for, oh my gosh, four, five years it can go on. Oh, wow. Where DHS is involved in the family until they can mitigate the safety concerns. I see. And what did you feel like you were not able to do enough of, or what was missing for you in that piece of your work? It really felt like it was just a blanket service where what I'm doing now, it's an individual service and support team. So it's called ISST. Um, At DHS, I felt like I had literally 45 days before I had to close this out in order to close it out to get onto the next case. The caseload was huge. I mean, there was a time where I had about 13, 13 cases on my own intake load. And then I took on three more cases to follow through to write court reports and treatment plans and everything else. And it really, the burnout rate is so huge. And here each week, I have three different, two to three different families And I'm able to really dive in, find out their pain points, find out what is it they've struggled with, what has been done in the past, what needs to be done, you know, and identifying the interrelational things between the family members. Right. That in itself, I mean, is it a trigger between what? I mean, where is that at? And then when you look at it through the lens of, you know, reactive attachment disorder, and you look at that attachment, which is usually what we're trying to really build off of in most families. Yeah. And now you're hearing a completely different story from the parents saying, 
I don't know why my child hates me so much. I love them with all my heart and I can't figure out why they hate me. Yeah. And it really walking through that and then connecting them with, with rad advocates. And we also um, work closely with Forrest, uh, Forrest Lean. Oh yeah. And um, we have him do the assessments for these kids that come through our process. So it's, it's really, it's a privilege to be in the position that I'm in. It's very hopeful to hear this because, you know, as parents, we don't get to see inside the system and we deal with a lot of the broken pieces mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. not really understanding what's happening deep inside. And so I, you know, it's very helpful to understand how it works and what's happening and to know that there's people like you making changes. Is this a very specialized position for you and place? Does this happen in every DHS, you know, across the nation is your position, you know, in those other States is our somebody well, like you. And yeah, so last year, um, last July, I left DHS. Okay. And I had been connect, I had worked on actually with that youth with red. I had done an ISST with uh the one with a worker up here in Teller County. And I looked at her, I said, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to be involved. I'm like, okay. I love this process. I feel like this is really where I really want to be. So joint initiatives is actually my, that's where I work. Oh, okay. I see. Yep. So it's a completely different thing. We do partner with other entities. So, you know, guardian ad litems, public defenders, um, the court system, but we truly are a neutral facilitation. So what I do is I'm that neutral party that helps facilitate the conversation between the team members to bring together, um, a plan that's going to work for the family. So yeah, we're completely separate. Uh, yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I'm not at <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be there anymore. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. Yeah. Is it just this certain population that you're dealing with or are you, because, you know, DHS handles all of the uh, calls for abuse and, so where, where do you guys come in? Are you just with the juvenile system right now or no? No. So actually we're under the Colorado youth detention continuum. So what that is, it's like a, a big, if you think of it like an umbrella joint initiatives, actually we have Alliance for kids, which helps um, support uh, daycares, um, excuse me, early childhood education. Okay. They're not called daycares anymore. Um, and <laughs> And so there's, we have a lot of people really doing the coaching, um, training people to become more equipped in all the aspects of early childhood. And then we have what's called pathways, which is um, the umbrella that I'm under. And that is basically zero to 21. Um, We service, so the ISST process, the individual service and support team, um, if you kind of think of one end where it's juvenile delinquency, okay. and then right in the middle is to help the population of kids who are suffering or struggling through truancy. Okay. And now I am working on transitioning to zero to 12 years old. Wow. So my individual service and support team will currently, I'm still in de- working with youth in detention and juvenile delinquency. But when I transition over, I have another meeting set up here actually pretty soon. And when I transition, it's going to be working mostly with fam. Well, it's going to be working with all kids under the age of 12. Okay. Um, And really the, the very first family that we worked with was a mom who has three kids under five looking to adopt. She's a foster family and the kids are very, very challenging. And so I, brought together a whole new group of people to be specific to that age group and then to help service that family um, in that way. So, and how amazing that you're there even right at the beginning stages Mm -hmm. versus adopting children or fostering them and not having any clue or support you're in there right away 
working as a team to create and equip, like you say, these families so right. that they can cope and, and deal with this. So how do people find you? Because I think, you know, the, most of the parents that have adopted, you know, internationally or domestic, somehow they get involved with, uh, DCS and, mm-hmm. um, so, and kind of where your past life was, you know, right. Sometimes they get involved, something flags uh, their family and, they get investigated and from there, you know, that whole right process happens. And that's where families and parents are misunderstood and mm-hmm. rad isn't known about. And so it just turns into this huge mess, which we've talked about in other episodes. So you're in this other world. How do, you know, where do you come in to save these families that are over here? Or how can you help or start making a difference so that that's not happening anymore and somehow they're working with you (laughs) and your services? Does that make sense? Yeah. And really, I kind of think of my position as a one-stop shop, basically, because looking at what will happen. So got a family coming up, um, two kids um, who both have read, five and four adopted out of the out of the system um, and really looking at the unique lens of that family. Yeah. What do they need now? And it's really the thing that I love about this new position is going to be very preventive, mm-hmm. um, very proactive in the hopes that where I am in the delinquency world, we don't see them there. So right. the goal is really to equip the family with respite, with crisis intervention, whatever therapy, play therapy is needed. And I bring all of those supports to the meeting so that as the parent tells their story and as they walk through the challenges that they have, what ends up happening too, and this is a beautiful byproduct of it, is now you have professionals connecting with each other. Yeah, so important. So now you have a play therapist connecting with a respite saying, I've got a client here. So it really boosts the whole entire aspect of what can be done to really help families on so many different levels. And, you know, and I, I truly am just that neutral facilitation where I do all the background of all the phone calls to the professionals, family members, day, you know, preschool providers, you know, teachers, the, the Dean of the principal. And this is to learn about the child and the family situation. Yeah. So you do a deep dive. Right. And so literally I try to here where every single professional family member involved in the child's life, how they see the situation and what they see as, um, as stumbling blocks for the right. family. And then ultimately right. to build that team to remove those stumbling blocks. Amazing. And catching it early, that early intervention and yeah. linking everybody with the right resources doing the proper evaluation. So you really understand the family and what's happening, including reactive attachment disorder. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So how do people connect with you before? So what often happens is, you know, a family adopts a child for years and years and years. They don't even know they have reactive attachment disorder. DCS doesn't know, and you you've kind of finalized that adoption. So all services have essentially stopped. And then you're in this situation when you finally do learn about it. Sometimes you're already at that point where there is a case that's been opened against a family or so how do we get people to you before that happens? (laughs) And that's a pretty big question, Satish. Yeah. I don't know if you have an answer. I'm not sure I do either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we do. So I think the the thing, and you you hit on it exactly. People, and I used to say this when I was doing um, uh, family therapy, was that you don't come to a marriage counselor until you're almost ready for divorce. So a lot of times, you know, parents, and especially parents' hearts who adopt or foster, your heart is so huge and you want to embrace the child and you want to be able to give them the life that they never had. And so you try and try and try and try and try. 
And I think a lot of it is exactly what you're doing is identifying those underlying behaviors so it can be seen earlier. So it can be identified early on where parents can actually say, I I think we really need some help before this gets even bigger. So that in itself, we do refer, we do take referrals for families, usually in El Paso County, because those are the providers that we work with in Colorado. Um, We have a lot of providers in, um, in El Paso that we, you know, connect with. Right. When it gets out of County, we're working on that for sure. Um, We do actually have meetings with uh, families who are in another county. It is a little harder because we don't have providers there that we can just immediately connect with. I see. Yeah. So I don't know if I really answered that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you did. I think what I'm hearing is just having awareness of what RAD is so family members can identify it sooner or providers can, and then we can get to someone who knows about it, who's rad informed, and then potentially get good to you in Colorado. It's, it is really difficult because there's not a lot of education about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of families tell me our therapist just said rad is extremely rare and <sighs> they don't have it. And I think, but once you <laughs> see it, it's not Right. Once you see that, you know, how all of everything comes together and you see these patterns of behavior and you hear the same story from parents over and over and over, yeah. it's just, you can't not see it right. once, once you actually can identify it. Right. Once you've seen it, there's no going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think your comment about the therapist who said they have good eye contact, they don't have red, <laughs> sums <laughs> <Yeah>. up the, <laughs> and, you know, no offense, but just to how unknown it still really is and the lack of knowledge that therapists have about it. And that leads to, to all the other issues. So I have a question for you when you were at DHS, because a lot of families wonder, and I know there's listeners on the edge of their seat thinking, so what, what, and I think some of us could probably guess at what all the problems or name all the problems with DHS and, and that process. But what do you see? I'm always looking for positive ways to uh, raise awareness or create change and, mm-hmm. and talking about what is happening so then we can see it and potentially someone will start, you know, making changes with it. What did you see as the main issues in DHS that led to this lack of understanding with RAD, lack of support, kids getting into homes or being adopted or into foster homes without those resources or the education or diagnosis? I mean, what, what kind of, I don't know. What did you see that was broken or could be better? Yeah. And, and, you know, first I'll I'll start with some positives of it only because a lot of times I don't think people realize what goes on on the back end. Yes. I think. Um, And until you realize kind of the process of how everything happens, it's hard because when, when parents are on the receiving end of it, and I used to tell parents this, I'm like, I know you feel like you're under a microscope right now everybody's watching you, everybody's Mm -hmm. micromanaging you, everybody's telling you what you can and can't do. It's like, and parents really feel like they're just in the wrong all the time. And sometimes it really is a, it's a, it's a hard balance Um, because every single person that I know who works for DHS gets in it for the right reasons. Exactly. We get in it because we want to make a change you know, people go, they get their master's in social work. They go right to DHS. They're like, I'm really going to make a difference. Mm. I'm going to help these families. And there really are a lot of families that get helped. I love my DHS workers in El Paso County. They work so incredibly hard. And I think the problem that happens is there's so much need Mm -hmm. and there's only so many people. Mm -hmm. So when you have about 25 different families with 25 different needs and you have 60 days to figure out how you're going to help this family, you're thinking on your toes all the time and you're always looking for solutions. Mm -hmm. And every single person who I work with, they, they have their heart in the right spot. Yeah. 
It's just that there's so much and there's so much going on. So when a hotline call comes in, mm-hmm. um, somebody calls in and says, hey, I think this child is really having some issues. The family's doing this, this, and this. What it does, it goes to what's called a red team and it's readiness, engagement, and I believe directive, I think. Don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> um, but that's where they process it. And there is a there's all these categories that they have to look at whether it meets the child abuse and neglect criteria and what level it meets. So from there, the worker is sent out to the house to investigate the allegations. And if it really, if it was just the kid talking about something that happened six years ago at a friend's house, um, you know, or, or something like that, you still have to interview everybody and then you close it out and say it's completely unfounded. Um, I think where it really starts to become painful for a lot of families is when it looks like, because the very first thing that is looked at is the parents, Mm -hmm. what is happening in the home? And like, there's a saying in DHS where they're in the business of believing kids. When you're dealing with a child who has read and Mm -hmm. as I'm preaching to the choir about the lying and all the different allegations that come up, it's very, very difficult to weed through what's true and what's not. So when the child keeps saying this stuff is happening and then they're removed from the home to be put into foster care and now the judicial system is involved, Mm -hmm. now you have a whole different level of involvement that families, now they're not just under a microscope, they're being micro um, dissected on a lot of levels. So now you have a a child that was removed from the home, they're in the foster care system. And then now all the attachment issues, all the trauma, all the abandonment, all the rejection, you know, all of that plays into it. And I think what families see is really just this overarching organization telling families that they're doing everything wrong. Mm -hmm. And also that, you know, I hear a lot of frustration with families where they say DHS didn't do anything. The criteria has to be met for, you know, if the child is just off the rails and parents are doing everything right, DHS is gonna come in and go, I don't see a safety violation here. Yeah, you've got a kid that's out of control. Let's get them into therapy. Let's get them help. And now you take the idea that RAD is so unknown. And now, you know, the child portrays this beautiful portrayal when the caseworker walks in, the minute the caseworker walks out, now mom is being beat up again. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, it really is based off of that interaction and what is seen Mm -hmm. at that time. And I think there needs to be a lot more education on on the back end of when you do have these kids who are out of control of their parents, Mm -hmm. which actually is a classification in DHS, um, it's just called youth out of control of their parents. And that really does, there is an avenue for DHS to become more involved. And this is where I really actually like them being involved because they do have more funding available, Mm -hmm. but you have to get into the system and become a part of the system to make that available. So the funding piece, the time turnaround piece, and then also what is the presentation of the family? All of those things play into the frustration of the parents because there's just not enough time. And so, you know, for an intake worker, you literally have 45 days to assess for child abuse and neglect. And within those last 15 days, you're closing out your assessment and you're on to the next, but you might have 15 other families going at the same time. So it's really dynamic of what goes into it. And I think the burnout rate for caseworkers is just huge. I can just imagine just listening to that. Yeah. And that's really good insight because I'm a big believer. Like you say, everybody gets into the helping professions to help and because they care and they want to make a difference. And, and then you're up against a situation like that. And there's so many things in what you just said about the, the whole tenet of, you know, believe the child, right. We're Mm -hmm. in the business of believing children. So that immediately 
everything in rad is opposite. The parenting style, the way we have to parent is opposite, right? And you, (laughs) and, and that's an opposite where you don't believe the child necessarily. And so right off of the, right from the get-go, we're in trouble because we're believing a kid, like you're saying, that is manipulative, lying, uh, and will do anything to get out of the situation they're in that mm-hmm. creates attachment. And then from there, there's this limited time, like you're talking about. And then the parents who are weathered and exhausted and have tried everything often look the opposite, you know? So if the child paints a picture of these parents not yeah. being good, and then that's what we envision, right? As we do see these tired parents, we do see that they're angry and frustrated mm-hmm. So it just snowballs and, and you're right. And so they're doing the caseworkers are doing everything they're supposed to do, you know, under the protocol for DHS. So they're not doing anything wrong. And then they're faced with all these challenges. What besides the burnout rate, do most of the caseworkers see this? I mean, I guess if you don't know about rad, you're not going to see it and that's dangerous, but and, and nobody's fault, but obviously we just need to create awareness and education there. But, you know, and I know burnout, you must be exhausted and frustrated with the system, but are there caseworkers that see that sometimes the parents are, there's something wrong here and this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's Tracy from Rad Talk with Tracy. And I just wanted to pop in and let you know about some services that we have at Rad Talk for you, the Rad Parent. So at Rad Talk, we advocate for better mental health. And by that, I mean your mental health, Rad Parents, you Rad Moms, you Rad Dads, you Rad Couples. We're here to help you heal. That is our number one goal. So I want you to head to radtalkwithtracy.com support and check out our support services. We have online support groups for rad moms and rad couples. We have group retreats and we have group retreats for rad moms and rad couples. And we have a really, really special solo retreat in northern New Mexico where you can come and hide away in a tiny house in the mountains. What I do want to tell you is that we do not heal alone we don't. Come check out our support groups, our coaching, our retreats. It's all trauma-informed. Find your people. Come to a place where you can express your feelings and not be judged. Come to a place where you can be real and where you're not alone. These are your people and we're all here together. And I'm going to remind you, just like I said before, we don't heal alone. It really takes courage to bring your trauma into the light and your struggles, but I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to do that. Trauma thrives in isolation. We don't heal in isolation. We heal in safety and connection and in relationship with others. That's how we heal. So check out radtalkwithtracy.com support and sign up for a support group, sign up for a retreat, or sign up for coaching today. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when you see that as a caseworker and you go, okay, but I have this story, but I see these parents, right? What is going on? And it really truly is where they do try to show that this kid is just out of control. Mm -hmm. And and really that the parents aren't doing anything wrong. And sometimes, you know, I think because red isn't looked at as being um, one of those first things that people just see, mm-hmm. but once they find out and they have like five different disorders that have been diagnosed through a neuropsych and, you know, and they're on all these different medications, they've tried everything. And, and so <laughs> usually you hear, well, they're on Ritalin and they're on Zoloft and it's just like, oh no. No wonder why these kids are off the rails because they're on the wrong medication. They haven't been assessed and they haven't been diagnosed correctly. So now you've got people with well intending uh, hearts making decisions for something that is just an enigma to them. They don't, they don't understand why it's not working. And 
And then when they can't really control it or they can't mitigate the safety concerns, they'll open up a case, right. which then it allows you to have that constant caseworker in your life. But that caseworker can only do so much too. I see. So it, it really, there's so many different dynamics that come into it. And there's so many separate pieces, you know, that caseworker is doing their piece, the medication, not knowing that those are the wrong medications. And then the people subscribing, the providers prescribing the medications don't necessarily know that that's wrong. We're just creating this whole thing. Uh, And so I love what your team is doing too. It's so interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary, you know, Mm -hmm. you meet together and all the pieces come together and are talked about so you can see the child and the family as a whole. And right. we don't have these gaps or, you know, people functioning in their compartments. Right. And that that's a big thing too, is when you bring everybody to the table or to the Zoom meeting, as right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, when you bring everybody to together, there's no confusion as to who is doing what. Yeah. You know, if I have a if I have a meeting where DHS is involved, um, that caseworker gets a lot of work because they're putting in all these referrals and those referrals happen right at that time. So we work with a lot of providers that take Medicaid and that also is another hiccup. Mm-hmm. But Medicaid in itself, as soon as I find out the kid has Medicaid, I know exactly where we're going because we have helped to build this relationship. But that referral happens at that time. Mm-hmm. So the parent literally provides all their contact information. The um, service provider is right there to speak on behalf of what they will do for the family and what the family can expect. And it really, it eliminates all the crosstalk, all the confusion yeah. because we're all on the same page for the same reason. Right. And you've got the big picture, all the pieces to the big picture that you can put together right there. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to fix <laughs> DHS, I'm gonna spit my water up. I know. Um, <laughs> I think she just choked on her water, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so, Satish, and just, you know, and I know this is no easy task and it's so much bigger and so many pieces, but, you know, what would be a, a place to start or what can people start doing? You know, if you're a caseworker or if you're a legislator or if you're a, you're in the legal system or what, what happens to, what needs to happen in DHS so that we can start moving to a model, something like what you're doing? Is that even possible? That's a great question. I, I think everybody needs to speak the same language. Okay. When you have, and just the ones that you just identified, you've got legislature, you've got um, the funding piece, you have Medicaid, you have caseworkers, you have utilization reviewers, you have the adoption um, aspect of DHS. Police You have the foster care. Yeah. Yeah. You've got all of these different aspects. Right. And it, because it's so busy, it's hard for everybody to be on the same page. Yeah. And the thing that I'm seeing across the board is even school district to school district, county to county, state to state. If I had a perfect world, Mm -hmm. I would make a nationwide blanket because what happens is you blanket of DHS. Okay. Um, whether, where everybody speaks the same language, because what happens, you have a family who They're living in Illinois. They have a child abuse and neglect charge. They hop to Colorado. Colorado doesn't know what happened in Illinois because we don't have the same system. So now you also have within that system, you have a family who has five, six, 10 hotline calls going out that the school's reaching out saying, hey, this kid keeps reporting this. You guys need to figure it out. Now you've got this repeat calling that happens to the hotline And now this family, all of a sudden they've got 20, 30 things. It's called trails is the the system that Colorado works out of. You've got 20 or 30 different documented hotline calls, but a case was never open. So now it's just, everybody needs to speak the same language. And I think there needs to be a national database for all child abuse and neglect, depending on, you know, not just like one state, 
but everybody needs to speak the same language. And that's mm-hmm. really through my little bitty world that I live in mm-hmm. of my meetings. That's my ultimate goal is to get everybody understanding where are the pain points of this family? Mm-hmm. What needs to happen moving forward? What has been done that hasn't worked? And I think we're just one little drop of mm-hmm. an equal communication that needs to happen across the board. And I think we need to have people of all, all walks of family dynamics from, you know, not just GALs and public defenders. I mean, like the people who are making the legislation, the people, I think people need to know what's happening on the ground level. Mm -hmm. And we need to have those meetings for that open communication of the reality of it, not just what is happening with the funding, not, Mm -hmm. you know, who's making these rules. I think you just have to have that open communication and all the way around, you know, and yeah. And it's, and joint initiatives is so amazing in this. We, I mean, from our leadership, our CEO, our director, my direct supervisor, absolutely amazing. We, the vision that we have as an organization, everything from racial equity to trauma informed to ACEs to, you know, family centered to, you know, early childhood. I mean, it's just, it is so amazing to see this. And that's really what we strive for as mm-hmm. an organization is everybody speaks the same language. Mm-hmm. If I'm meeting with a family, it's the same as when I'm meeting with my coworkers, you know, mm-hmm. it's giving people that grace and that place to be not okay. Mm-hmm. And then how can I help? You know, what can we do to actually help? Because it really it, it's a lot. And families, and I say this to all my families, families are messy. Yeah. All of them, even the ones that like appear, right. Like they have everything together. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's well, and I think to be supported versus put in a punitive type of system, like right away, we're going to believe the child there's already a dis- divisiveness right there. Uh-huh. And that connection that you're talking about in communication is split, right. Even in that yeah. moment, And if that's how we're starting off and, and yeah, these are, it's not just one big system, but every big system is connected to the other big organization or system. You know, we've got, like you're saying the insurance or Medicare, Medicaid, and we've got the legal system, the police system, the adoption foster system and healthcare system. And that's a bunch of huge entities altogether. And I think what you're doing and the organization that you're with is so innovative and change agents. You know, Mm -hmm. you might just be leading the way to creating a new way, a new model that can be adapted elsewhere. You might be the pioneers. That's how I see. Yeah. That's how I see the vision of, of where we're at, because I would love to see this replicated in so many different districts and counties and, you know, and I think that's ultimately the direction things are going, you know, it's, it's amazing to hear, you know, the, all the different new possibilities. Yes. And I leave that up to the CEO director. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, put me on the ground floor. I'll be with the families all day. Right. You guys take care of it because you're doing an amazing job. I'll just follow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know what? It gets me thinking. I had um, a professor a long time ago say, you know, if you can change it, change it. But if it's a dinosaur, move on. And it sounds like, that's exactly what you're doing is we can't fix it. So let's create something new and innovative where we can make a difference and help families and potentially be that leader and that model for other people to follow or for your organization to grow. As a rad parent, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I'm dying inside. This is in Colorado. And so I know everybody listening is thinking, I wish, right? I wish we had this whatever state I'm in, right? I know I'm wishing, you know, it was in the state that I'm in. So it's it's hope. And that's what I hang on to. But I know that there are lots of people just wishing there was more of this, more of you, you know, in more states, but the goal is potentially 
that's the goal. I that's where I envision things. Um, yeah. I always think end result, and I I usually think really big. And I know that everything we're doing along the way is building to get to that point. Right. And I'm super excited about my new position working with families with the I call them the littles. Yeah. Um, anything me too. under twelve. <laughs> With a little, yeah, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's really where we're going to start to make a difference for that understanding and the preventive yeah. nature and the proactive and equipping parents too. Yeah, shoot, just giving parents respite. We have some oh. amazing respite providers um, here in the in Colorado Springs, and I mean. I didn't even know once I started walking in this new position and I started talking to people, I've barely touched the surface mm-hmm. of being able to connect with, you know, all the providers. And my yeah. ultimate goal is that we just keep building and growing. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm laughing because I was going to ask like, oh, what's respite? <laughs> I know what <laughs> yeah. respite is. We just didn't get it. <laughs> Yeah. What does that even exist? Are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've got everything and you know, you have to start somewhere and we want it all right away. Right. But uh, to know that something is beginning, people are out there who care and that are communicating, working together as a team and putting these resources together so that everybody can be successful is huge. And, you know, I know that you'll likely get a lot of support from from everybody listening because we're the ones out here needing it you know there's such a huge huge need yeah you know and I think my biggest fear is uh overwhelming (laughs) Amy and Heather right (laughs) right I'm like and you get a red advocate (laughs) (laughs) oh but that's that's why they do it right they would be Yeah. yeah right on that and yeah. Yeah. So this is what you're going to do. This is. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, so one thing I have yet to finish was getting my LPC. Um, that what was is ultimate, the LPC just for people? Who... The licensing licensed practicing counselor. Yes. So I went to school to be an individual therapist. Um, and I'm realizing rad is underserved. So <laughs> I am really thinking eventually down the road, mm-hmm. no time soon. Cause we're still building all of this. And obviously sure. it would take quite a while. I would like to go that direction to service this population in a therapeutic sense. And I really think that this is the direction that I meant to go. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, uh, right now I'm going to keep, keep moving forward and keep going. And, but I think really, ultimately I would like to, I got a lot of life ahead of me. So I I think ultimately that's the direction I would like to go and go into that therapeutic sense of being able to help families out in that lens. It's more of a one-on-one. It's not so much of a collaborative thing, but knowing this aspect even exists of what I'm currently doing, being able to connect people with people who are, you know, who do what I do. Yeah. Well, and you're filling a gap that's, you know, happening as people who have been in this field, the very few that -hmm. have been in this field and understand rad, you know, are beginning to retire or thinking of retiring. And eventually they're not going to be available. These amazing experts with so much knowledge and understanding that have been there advocating and supporting families, uh, the few that are out there when they retire, you know, who's, who's following their footsteps and it sounds like it's going to be you. And there's no, in my opinion, I don't think there's any better place to start than in it. You will have an incredible perspective and insight and ability to help families. Just you've been part of DHS. You've seen that piece of it. You're doing what you do now, working collaboratively with families and professionals to come to the table and bring this all together. And then the next step, if it is individualized, you know, counseling for you then wow, look at all of that, that you're bringing to those families. And I'm sure you'll still have a a foot in those places, or at least be able to help families navigate through those places as well. Right. Just from your understanding and experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That networking is huge. It's, you know, a lot of times people say, do you have this? And I'm like, nope, but I know someone who does. Right. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) The liaison, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Which, and sometimes that's all it takes as people out there, just one person who has that awareness and knowledge to then Mm -hmm. connect with resources and get that ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm I love being part of this process and I can't tell you how incredibly grateful I am for Amy. Yeah. And that's Amy at Rad Advocates for listeners. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she is absolutely influential in making this change Yes, and creating this shift and creating the understanding, you know, and Heather, I love Heather. (laughs) I love her. She seriously, I will call her sometimes just a process because it really, you know, and she's, and Amy and Heather are always there. Like I call one of them will show up and it's just to have somebody that invested Mm -hmm. is I, it is so valuable. Right. And people who have again, lived it, right. They're both rad moms. They've lived it and then wanting to make change and, and make it better for families and for Mm -hmm. kids for sure. Yeah. And very approachable, like you say, very available. This is, this was all new to me. We're talking with, uh, I usually introduce people at the beginning, but we're talking with Satish Haim and I had no idea who you were, what you did. And I (laughs) love that because there's a bit of mystery to it. And so I don't always have the, the best questions or know what to ask, but is there any advice you would give to families that are in the DHS world or DCS? Is there ways that families can communicate better or speak the language or be supported or get the support they need? I think keep in constant contact with your caseworker. That person is going to be the person on the front lines and being real with that caseworker, you know, educating the caseworker as to what is going on, how, what you're struggling with. Because a lot of times parents, you're going to have to teach people how to interact with your family because you guys are the experts on your family. You know what goes on day to day and being transparent with that because I know a lot of times it's the fear behind being transparent because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. A lot of times families have multiple children that are either being fostered or adopted. And they're afraid if a case gets open against one, they're going to lose all the other kids. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of caseworkers actually kind of use that leverage also where they say, well, you know, you don't want a case open because you're going to lose every other kid. Well, that's not always the case, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to, you're going to have to teach that caseworker about what truly is going on. And once you start to educate them and be real and, and don't be defensive because that in itself, the minute a parent is defensive, most people get into social work because they have some form of intuition. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> <laughs> um and so if, if that defensiveness is there, you know, regardless of how that caseworker is, because some caseworkers just absolutely are very, very difficult to deal with. Yeah. They come in already with a chip on their shoulder. You're already wrong. You're doing everything right. wrong. And I feel for those families mm-hmm. who are on the back end of that because it's so unfair. Yeah. But if you have a caseworker who's going to listen to you, don't stop asking questions. If you have anything that's going on that you you're like, I see we're going this direction. Have you thought about, do you have the resources for A, B, and C? Can you talk to your supervisor about this? When are you going to get back to me with this? I think that's where the timeline really gets um, frustrating because a lot of parents, they're like, I haven't talked to my caseworker in two weeks. Right. Is that normal or not? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not normal. I mean, you know, know who that caseworker supervisor is also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that answers. in itself, if you don't get an answer, go to somebody who's going to have one. Right. If that person doesn't have it, go to a GAL, you know, and a lot of times placement options are really, really difficult. They're not set up to serve kids with RAD. 
except kids do really well in detention, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So really don't stop asking questions. And as much as it feels intrusive, get the caseworker supervisor. Yeah. And if you have to get them involved, because there is about five people above that caseworker that can answer your question and don't stop advocating because that's going to be your best asset. Yeah. So advocate and just saying that there's five people in that list above the caseworker. If somebody did, if a family did get a caseworker where they're not jiving and they don't feel supported or there's a mismatch, is it, is that again, the same advice you would give is to contact the supervisor and go up that ladder, or is there a way they can request a different worker? I mean, it's kind of hard if there's a case against you, I imagine, but what are, you know, what are some things if, if a family gets into that situation or is there anything they can do? You can request a different worker. You really can. And basically all it does is just transfer over. Okay. If it's not working and you feel like you're not being heard, you can request a new worker. And if that supervisor says, uh, we don't have any other, any other workers for this, the reality is that if it's just a youth out of control, in 60 days, it's going to close. Now, if it's an open case and an ongoing case, that's a little bit different. But realistically, an intake worker has about 60 days to close out that okay. case. Okay. And what would you tell caseworkers that are in this? You know, what would you tell them about RAD or about how they can support families of kids with reactive attachment disorder? Be open. School did not teach you how to work through this. <laughs> um, embrace every family with an open mind that that family truly is the expert on their situation and be willing to listen. Caseworkers don't have the answers and they are not the experts. Right. They know the system and they have to work within the system's confines. Mm -hmm. But if you truly want to make change, you have to listen and listen to the family without judgment. When you open your ears and actually shut your mouth, there's a lot that can be achieved. And I think more people need to do that just overall in general. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. We can all be better communicators, better yeah. listeners yeah. for sure. That's great yeah. advice. And, and two, right. Anybody that's listening, learn about reactive attachment disorder, start yeah. contacting people and, and uh, yeah, start reading about it, start learning about it, go to seminars, talk yeah. to the people that are in it, doing it right? I think a lot of people would appreciate a phone call and direct you to resources where you can learn and grow as well, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of resources out there. Once you start to get into it, I mean, I have sent multiple parents your podcast alone oh, and said, you. start listening, go for a walk and just start listening. And you're going to hear your story being told over and right. over and over again. Right. And once these parents realize they're not alone, yeah, the tears just flow. It, it's the relief. It's so they're true. not alone. It's, it's, it's so amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is amazing. And just when you can connect with other rad parents going through and not have to explain, not feel judged mm -hmm. and people just get it. And you can be real there. A yeah. lot of magic. Mm -hmm. Yep. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I'm missing or I didn't know to ask? No, this has been wonderful. I, I was really looking forward to meeting you and having this time. And if there's anything that you ever need, um, let me know. I'm so grateful to meet you. And I'm so grateful that you're out there doing what you do. How do people get in contact with you if they want to learn more about your organization or even just get advice? What, who, how can they get in touch with you? We are just revamping our website or joint initiatives. So they can go to your website, joint initiatives. Yep. Or Google joint initiatives. Yep. In Colorado Springs. Okay. And so, and it's the only organization of its kind right now. Yeah. Uh, that I know of. Um, right. I don't think that there are any other organizations doing what we're doing. And so quick question. I know we've got to go, but how did it. I have to, I call it joint initiatives. It's joint initiatives for youth and families. Okay. So I, I always abbreviate it just because 
it's long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry. So I was just wondering how, how did this, who started this? How did this begin? Who came up with this idea and just went with it? Yeah, this has been since I believe 89 is really? when it started. What? And I guess it started as just kind of a, an idea with about two or three people. And I know as far as my position, Sarah Sherwin, um, she's our director. She had this idea that, you know, we're missing some pieces. And so she came up with the ISST process, the individual service and support team. And literally it went from there to my supervisor, to me, and now we're growing our team. So it really, it was the thing that I'm most impressed with is found a need and found a way to fill it. Mm-hmm. So the collaborative effort that happens is absolutely amazing. And I'm so proud to be part of this organization. Well, I'm glad more people know about it now. And yeah, just keep growing and keep doing what you're doing, Satish. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So nice to meet you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.